Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Church of Grace. My name is Patrick Hayes. Today is Friday, August 26th, and we are going over Acts chapter 28. We're going to finish the book of Acts this evening, no matter what. I don't care if this house lights on fire. Okay, we're going to throw coffee on it, and we are going to finish this book. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll jump in. Uh, Lord, we do love you greatly. You are awesome and powerful. You are our creator. You are our savior. You hold our salvation in your hand. And God, uh, we are so grateful that we can come to you in prayer. And Lord, we want to ask that you'd please forgive us of all of our shortcomings and our faults and our failures, any sins this day. And, And God, please help us to do your will instead of our own. We pray, Lord, that you'd be with uh, Bruce and Sharon as they are, you know, struggling with a little bit of health stuff and not always feeling well. We just pray that you'd bring them back to us. Uh, And then I know Rick and Barbara are going to be coming back soon. We pray that you would bring them back safely as we do miss them. And Lord, we pray that you would just uh, get this, uh, this Bible study and this church into the hands of the folks that it'll help. Uh, We do want to see lost people saved. We want to see people baptized. We want to see lives changed. And God, that's up to you. So we're inviting you here tonight, and we ask you, please speak through me. Give us uh, ears to hear and a soft heart to hear your message, and give us a good fun time, Lord. Uh, We love you. Amen. All right, so we are in Acts chapter 28. Does anyone, thank you very much, uh, does anyone remember where we left off or what was going on in Acts 27? It was a shipwreck. Very good, Wayne. So there was a shipwreck. What island was it on? It did start with an M, but you were starting to pronounce the wrong one, a different island. Oh, okay, good. Go ahead. Yeah, what is it? What do you got? (laughs) Malta. Very good. All right. So the Bible uses the word Mylita. Uh, Malta is um, the name of the island today. Uh, Both words mean refuge. So we're we're talking about the, the same island. So let's start in Acts 28, and let's read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll look at them a verse at a time, and then we'll go from here, or we'll go from there. And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita, and the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. 
All right. So, yeah, yeah, it really was. A lot, lot was going on there. All right. So in verse one, uh, Melita uh, is the island of Malta, and that island is right here. Now, it's hard to see on that map, but this was the journey of Paul's shipwreck. Ended up on that uh, tiny island just south of Sicily. I hear it is beautiful and a big tourist destination. So the pictures look just amazing. I'd, I'd love to go and visit it sometime. Uh, that's the island that they ended up on at the end of their, at the end of the storm. That's where they were shipwrecked. Uh, okay, what do we mean when we say the barbarians, the barbarous people? Or how about this? Let me ask you this: What do you guys think when you hear the term "barbarian" used? Savages. Okay, I thought the same thing. Anyone else? Yeah, Conan, okay, Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime with a big heavy sword, <laughs> uncivilized, okay, all right, so we're all thinking the same thing. Now, I just thought, I've never heard of a team named the Barbarians. Wouldn't that be a good sports team? The Barbarians? I'm thinking that'd be a great mascot, whatever. <laughs> yeah, prob probably racist. Yeah. Well, I mean, barbarians is a general term not identifying a specific people group, Nick. So there could be barbarians in many lands. Yeah, Indians, Native Americans. <laughs> you got you got it. I'm uh, I'm just going to not say certain things into this microphone right now as as the audience gets you know playfully racist and we're going to keep moving on okay so when we think of barbarians we're thinking of uncivilized savages and cruel now at this time a barbarian was anyone that didn't speak greek or latin that's what they considered a barbarian when you read the history books because you got to remember what did the whole world speak at that time well, they spoke Greek. I don't know how many of them spoke Latin, but they definitely all spoke Greek. Who instituted that, by the way? Nope, not Caesar. Before, pre-Romans. Not Napoleon. That was uh, about 1,800 years after this. <laughs> Who made the world speak Greek? It was not the Persians. After the Persians, before the Romans, thank you, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was Greece, the nation of Greece. Okay, so when the Greeks took over the world, they forced that language upon everybody. Not every world leader did that. The Greeks did. And we are thankful that they did. And if you get into a study of languages, you find out that that was very helpful for literature and for a variety of things, for history at the time. Anyway, it was great because all of a sudden, Every book that was written was written in Greek. So it, it made it, um, it was very handy for all of civilization. All right. <clears throat> so let's see. Let's move on to verse three. Uh, Paul gathering the sticks. Viper came out and fastened on his hand. Okay. There are currently no snakes on Malta. Now, I read that. I've never been to Malta, so I can't confirm that. 
but you will find this point brought up by Bible critics as far as, oh, the Bible doesn't know what it's talking about, yada, yada, yada. And the fact is, it does. Hey, buddy, good to see you. <clears throat> so there, keep in mind, when, the, when this story was written, we're talking about 2,000 years ago. So the ecology of the island of Malta could have been quite different back then. All right. So now we're going to go over a pop quiz. So everyone put your phones away. What? <laughs> Tablets as well. Anything related? No, I'm just teasing you. Okay. <clears throat> so since we're on the subject, what is the treatment for a venomous snake bite? I'm going to save your life tonight. You or somebody else. Okay. So Mac, what is it? That is a great example of the number one thing not to do, okay? You do not try to suck the venom out, okay? I don't care what Caddyshack or Dumb and Dumber <laughs> the movies in Hollywood said. Louie, what do you got? Uh, bronze, bronzing staff would work. Okay, <laughs> okay. very good. A brazen staff. <laughs> a brazen serpent on a staff would work, but not on the list that we're going over. What do you got? So like a tourniquet. Okay, that's the number two thing you should not do with a venomous snake bite. Aren't you guys glad we're going over this? We're going to save the life of one of your friends in the woods. <laughs> okay, so you want to you want to sit down or lay down, get the person in a position of comfort, okay, because you want to lower their heart rate, right? We don't want it circulating through the body. Uh, if you can, you want to get that snake bite in a position lower than their heart, if it's their hand or their leg, okay? You don't wanna raise their feet, okay? That, that's one of the ideas. Um, here's a big one. You're supposed to remove rings and watches. Why? Swelling takes on. And once that starts, you are not that ring or that watch. Tight clothing, any of that stuff, get it off because once that swelling happens, it can be a real bad deal. You wanna wash the wound with uh, soap and water, uh, you want to cover the bite with a clean, dry dressing. And if you have a Sharpie, you want to label uh, the spread of the swelling and the puffiness and redness, and you want to write the time on there. And then you want to get them to the hospital as fast as possible. Okay, so do not suck out the poison. Apply a tourniquet. Drink alcohol or take pain meds like or aspirin. Why? Thins your blood, okay? <laughs> Makes the blood move around. We, we don't want the poison circulating through your body if we can. Now, when you get to a hospital, what will a hospital give you? They will give you anti-venin, okay? Also called anti-venom, okay? Venom like a snake, venomous snake. You need to know the species of the snake, so which anti-venom? Correct. So if you can, you want to take a picture of the snake with your phone from a safe distance. They suggest not. Yeah. Yeah. They suggest not trying to catch the snake. Why do you not want to catch the snake? Now you have two snake bites. Yeah. Okay. So that's the, that, yeah, that's the idea. So keep, keep in mind, depending on where you're bit, if you are bit by a venomous snake in Colorado, what type of snake does it have to be? Okay, what's that? I heard 
rattlesnake. That's the only one that I know of, at least in the, you know, in Western Colorado. I don't think we have any more venomous snakes. Do you guys know the difference between venom and poison? Moses. Okay, so that's true. Venom is injected. So a scorpion is venomous. A snake is venomous. Poison has to be ingested. So what's an example of a poisonous animal? What's that? No, say it. Oh, no. I must have heard Nick. Frogs. Remember those really bright fluorescent frogs that you see, those really pretty ones that are a screensaver? Those are the ones down in, I think, South America. So those are poisonous. So those are the ones... Yeah, you'll yeah the guys you'll lick them and hallucinate. Thank you. Okay, that's another idea. Don't don't chew it up and swallow it. Just lick the frog and yeah, and you can hallucinate. So anyway, that's the difference between you know poison and venom. Now I say all that to say this: What treatment did they have when Paul got bit by the snake? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Okay, <clears throat> when was anti-venom invented? What year did it come out and we finally had a way to save people's lives from venomous snake bites? Give it a guess. It was 1895. Yeah. Not, yeah, not that long ago. Now, there are some stories of people trying you know, varieties of this where they would actually, I'm not going to get, I'm already into the weeds. The point is back when this was going on with Paul, which was, you know, before 100 AD, what happened when your friend was bit by the venomous snake on the island? Yeah, he died. What did you tell him to do? Yeah, you told him to say goodbye to his loved ones. I mean, that was essentially what was going to happen. Now, keep in mind, depending on the size of the snake and the size of the person, maybe you just got real sick, you didn't die, and you could make it through. But, you know, back in these days, everyone was like, all right, start the timer. You know, this guy's going to be dead. And that's what it took back then, a snake bite. You know, you got a bad infection. It didn't take much, and, and you were going to die. So when Paul was bit, it usually meant you said goodbye to your loved ones because you were going to die. Verse 4, the reaction of the barbarians was on par with your average church member. They accused the man suffering the misfortune with murder. Right? They said, well, even though God saved everyone from the storm at sea and the shipwreck, this guy, Paul, is still cursed by God because he is a murderer. That's what they came up with. So even though, you know, he should have died at sea and he was spared, God wanted to make sure and strike this man down. So they looked at a very direct correlation between actions and consequences from a punitive God. Now, in verse 5, Paul's attitude in this verse reads kind of nonchalant. When I read this, 
And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. So, and, and notice what it says in verse three, at the end of verse three, okay, a viper came out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And the bar, and when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand. So the way it reads is Paul's picking up sticks and, and Paul goes like this. Huh. And everyone goes, and he goes and shakes it off and goes back to building the fire. The way it reads is that Paul didn't seem very concerned about it for whatever reason. I think Paul knew that he was going to give his defense to Caesar because God told him he would. And Paul knew I'm not going to die by a snake. So, you know, I don't have to worry about it. And I find it interesting in verse five that it says he felt no harm. So when Paul was bit by the snake, it doesn't even say or doesn't even seem that it affected him. All right. Now, what does this verse remind you of? There's a portion in the Bible. Yeah. Yes. Very good. <laughs> okay, let's go to Mark 16. It is. It's in the it's in one of the very last verses. Now this this little portion of scripture bothers a lot of people and we can get into this, but we might just want to kick this and keep on going and come back to it later. But in Mark 16, this is right after the Lord Jesus gives the Great Commission. So he tells everyone that's there, you need to go out and give the gospel to Jerusalem and, and Samaria and Judea and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay, this is what your job is to do. And then you baptize them and you teach them everything that I've taught you until the end of the world. Amen. Yada, yada, yada. And then he says... And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they, number one, cast out devils. Number two, they shall speak with new tongues. Number three, they shall take up serpents. Number four, if they drink anything deadly, it shall not hurt them. And number five, they shall lay hands on the sick and shall recover. So Jesus said these five things will follow them that believe. And this verse is uncomfortable for a lot of people, and it also has been greatly abused by some groups, the, uh, uh, these verses. Has anyone ever, let me ask this, has anyone ever been to a church where they handle venomous snakes? Has anyone watched a YouTube video where they do? Of course we have, okay? So... <clears throat> Now, I don't believe that all five signs are supposed to happen to every Christian, but we clearly see the one about the serpents happening here. And we also see that Paul, in a few verses later, heals people, you know, miraculously. So with that, we'll keep moving. If we want to get into the rest of this verse and debate it a little bit, I'll be happy to talk about it once we're done. So... 
in, uh, in verse 6, after Paul was bit by the serpent, the natives were watching him, waiting for him to die. Paul didn't die, and furthermore, he didn't suffer any effects of being bitten by a venomous serpent. So what was the first reaction of the barbarians when Paul was bit? Yep, he must be a murderer. Because, And you got to remember, this was a popular idea that was also related to Judaism. We read about this in the book of Job. We read about this in the Gospels when uh, the Pharisees were asking Jesus, you know, this, uh, this man which was born blind, was, was it him that sinned or was it his mom or dad? Those are the only two options they gave Jesus. Like, surely the result of this misfortune had to be punishment from God, supernatural punishment for a sin. And the idea that they have was, you know, very similar to that. So they thought he must be a murderer. There must be something bad. Now that he doesn't die, what is their reaction? He's not only not a murderer, Mac. Yeah, they go a little further than that. Now they say he's a god. So can we say that this island had some pretty serious superstition? All right, so let's read verses 7 through 12. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also, which had diseases in the island, came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. And after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. And landing in Syracuse, we tarried there three days. All right, let's get into verse 7. Verses 7 and 8. So if the locals thought that the snake bite was great, just you wait. We got some neat things that are going to happen now. So... Paul heals the father of the chief man of the island. I don't know how their government was set up, but this guy was in charge. And clearly word spreads because in verses 9 and 10, we find out that others which had diseases in the island came and were also healed. And they were very grateful because when Paul and all the folks that were going to head off on the ship leave, they set them up with everything that they needed, which was very kind. So while Paul was there, word spread about Paul and his abilities. Now, remember that Malta is an island, and Malta is about 120 square miles. So that's 11 miles by 11 miles. <clears throat> that's one-tenth of the size of Rhode Island. It's 
it's not a teeny tiny island, but even today, the population of Malta, which is a large tourist attraction, is about a half million. 2,000 years ago, you know, we can imagine how small and unpopulated, uh, uh, you know, of a group of people uh, were, were present. So my point is, okay, and, and let me ask you this, how long was Paul there? He was there for months, three months. So word spread of this miracle very quickly because it's a small island, and everyone starts bringing all their folks out so that Paul can, you know, heal everybody because they all want some of this good stuff. Now, anyone remember how many people were on the ship? The shipwrecked ship. Is it close? 276. Very good, Wayne. So there are 276 people on that ship. And uh, from what I remember last chapter, they all survived. And the island, that because they were on an island, they had to just wait for another ship to come by and a sizable one to pick them all up and, and continue on their journey. And remember, they were there for three months. And what was going on during those three months? It was, what was the stormy season? It was winter. Okay, so there weren't, you know, any boats coming through, and they just had to wait until a ship, a sizable one, came by so that everybody could get on and they could continue uh, with their journey. So Paul had some time. He healed some people. Now, let me ask you this. Let's just get on this idea of healing people for a second. Why did God have Paul heal people on Malta? Okay, let me ask you this. Did Jesus heal people? Did Jesus heal everyone that was sick? Nope. Did Peter heal people? Okay, did Paul heal people? Yeah, there's a lot of healing going on. Did they heal everyone that was sick? Nope. What's the purpose? This is a broad question. Anyone can jump in. Nick, what are you thinking? Go ahead. Um, I mean, I'd have to go ahead. Yeah. So think of this. Yes. Okay. Paul would wipe the sweat off his brow and throw the handkerchief on the ground and people would run and pick it up and be healed. Okay. What was, what was special about uh, Peter when he healed someone? Does anyone remember the neat thing about... Go ahead, Wash. It was his shadow. Oh, yeah. They just wanted to get close enough to stand in his shadow, and when a shadow passed over them, they'd be healed. Okay, but understand, when every town that Jesus went into, he didn't heal every single sick person. Neither did Paul, neither did Peter. Nobody ever did. Not every single person. Now, lots of people came out and lots of people got healed, but the, the point of Peter and Paul's ministry, the point of the ministry of Jesus was not, they weren't doctors. They weren't really good doctors. So why? what is the point of a miracle? What do you think? Moses. 
Okay, I like that to get people to believe. Carlos? Show the power of God. Okay, so both of those answers, I think, are good and correct. And what I'm going to do is kind of, you know, bring them both together. The, the, the point of a miracle is to bring glory to God. Okay, it's to show who God is. And what's the purpose of showing who God is? Why did that, how did this help Paul in those three months? Yeah, it proved who God is, but how did that, Paul, what did that do for Paul over the next three months other than give him something to do? Yes. All of a sudden, what do you think everyone, okay, what was Paul doing in these three months? It doesn't say it, but we can prove emphatically that Paul was doing what in those three months? Absolutely. Ministering. Paul was preaching the gospel. How do we know this? Because that's all he ever did. When Paul was in a cell, he was giving the gospel to everyone in the cell with him. When he was in a cell by himself, he was sticking his head through the bars, talking to the Roman guard at the end of the hall. Wherever Paul was, he was giving the gospel. Is that, can we agree upon that? Every the whole book of Acts, that's all it talks about. And we're going to talk about more of it when Paul gets to Rome. So that was Paul's mission is, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Jews, Gentiles, Roman guards, barbarians that didn't speak the language. That that was that was what they that's what he did. So what's the point of healing people on day one of showing up in Malta? It means the next three months, he has a captive audience to give the gospel to everybody. And understand, Paul didn't decide to heal these people. The Bible very clearly tells us in 1 Corinthians, when it talks about gifts, that is, it is the Holy Spirit that determines the gift. And when? Nobody has the gift of healing where we can just walk up and you know heal whoever we want. If we did, why not go to the hospital with it? Get some doctors around. Let's get it on tape. Because nobody has that gift. God uses people with the gift of healing, just like God uses people with other spiritual gifts. Carlos, what you got? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Supernatural miracles still happen. They happen today. They happen all around the world. They happened at the time of Christ, before Christ, after Christ. That, that None of this has changed. But anyone who is a legitimate, you know, preacher knows that I don't have this supernatural. It's not a superpower. We're not Marvel action figures. Okay healing man. Yeah, God does the healing. He just happens to use people. But understand, the point of it is to bring legitimacy to the God we're talking about. Like, we're not just making this up, okay? We didn't just set before you this God we carved out of wood or stone, and we're saying, this guy is it. He's awesome. Well, what can he do? I don't know, but you can bow down to him and pray to him and give me money, 
Okay, no, that's not what it was. They said, this is not the God made by hands. This is the God that made the wood. We worship the God that made the stone. That's the God we're talking about. And yes, he healed the chief, uh, the, the chief of Malta, his father, and then they healed lots of other people. And Paul had three months to winter there. And he, I'm sure he had a great ministry while he was there. All right, let's keep moving. So verse 11, they were there for three months through the winter. They all boarded a ship from Alexandria. Where is Alexandria? It is in Egypt, one of the largest cities in the world at the time. I think it was one of the top three largest cities uh, in the known world. Uh, Rome, Antioch, Alexandria, I think were uh, the three largest. All right, so then it says that the ship had a sign, which was Castor and Pollux. Who were Castor and Pollux? Joe, get me an eraser, please. Just a rag from the kitchen. The smallest one you can find, please. Who? <laughs> so you're not going to have the answer. Yes, they were people. Two of the many sons of Zeus. Okay, so Louis is half right. He said two of the many sons of Zeus. Thank you, Joe. So <clears throat> Castor and Pollux, uh, which one was the son of Zeus? Because one of them was. No, it was Pollux. Yeah, very good. Okay. So <clears throat> Castor and Pollux, how about this? What do we know Castor and Pollux by today? It, they are one of the constellations. Does anyone know which constellation? You know what? I'm proud of all of you for not knowing this heretical garbage <laughs> known as astrology. Okay, good for you. You don't know what it is. So uh, Gemini. What was what is Gemini, the constellation of the of the twins? Very good. And out of all the constellations, I'm going to say that it looks the most like what it describes. OK, so well, and really, if you so if you look at it and this is a crude drawing, OK, it's like this. So this is roughly the constellation, Gemini. Yeah, it's two stick figures, okay? So now th there are a couple stars in there that I forgot. I'm not that, and this is it just, so we're clear. This is, what does that mean? It is not to scale, <laughs> but that is roughly Gemini, okay? It's something close to that. You can look it up whenever you want. So it's the twins. Now, <clears throat> the reason that, I'm even bringing this up is that they were revered as the protectors of uh, men at sea. So you would find them on boats oftentimes. So it's the constellation Gemini in today's <clears throat> astrology. They were identical twins. Uh, one caster was the son of King Tyndarus and Pollux was the immortal son of Zeus. There's a story that goes along with it, and I'm not going to bore you with it. It's not that exciting. But anyway, Gemini, the twins, Castor and Pollux, that was all free. You just, that's, that's what you get when you come here. <laughs> okay, good. 
So now, now when's your birthday? Do you know what you are? Oh, okay. So am I. So you, yeah, you're coming up because I'm like the very first or one of the first days. By the way, everybody, just so we're clear, put it down in your calendars. Yesterday was my birthday. So next year, I expect, I don't know, cake or something. Yes, Carlos, what do you got? So I'm right on the cusp of Virgo, the, the edge. So I also have attributes of Leo is what I'm told by all those pagan worshiping pinko kami tree hugging liberal nut jobs that read their horoscope and are into astrology. Uh, so that's why I apparently don't act like a Virgo. All right. So let's see. Don't worry. We can edit all that out. I'm not going to, but we could edit all that offensive material out. All right, so let's keep moving. So verse 12, they landed in Syracuse. Uh, we are not talking about Syracuse, New, New York. Uh, does anyone know where Syracuse is? Okay, so they now made it to Sicily. And they run into the Italian prophet. Does anyone know the Italian prophet's name? Malachi. Very good. That was a joke. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that's all you get here. <laughs> all right, let's read verses 13 through 24. Uh, starting in verse 13. And from thence, we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Putoli, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Api. Does anyone know what that is? Okay, that is something you're going to want to Google, but we'll talk about it here in a second. It's interesting because these are very famous historical landmarks that we're going to, going to talk about. Uh, so let's see. They came to meet us as far as API Forum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And we're going we're gonna to read through quite a bit here, so, so bear with me. Uh, and it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans." who when they had examined me would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came, showed, or spake any harm of thee. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. 
And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken and some believed not. Okay, I know we went through a lot of verses there, but now we're going to take a few minutes and, and explain all this stuff. All right, so in verse 13, Regium is on the toe of the boot that makes up mainland Italy. And then the next place that they went to that started with, with a P is roughly halfway up Italy to Rome. <clears throat> so they traveled in verses 14 and 15. Once they landed in, how do we pronounce that? Yeah. Putuli, Putioli. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. A lot of times I'll, uh, I'll look up the pronunciation and listen to it to try to get it right. But, uh, I didn't have time today, so I'm not sure. Uh, so when they landed there, they stopped sailing. That's where they got off and they decided, you know, we're going we're gonna to go by land the rest of the way. And in verses 14 and 15, we find they traveled on the most famous and possibly the oldest road in the Roman Empire. It runs from Rome... <clears throat> down to from Rome, it goes south and it kind of bear it bears a little east uh, to Tars. Uh, I'm gonna have to look at this <clears throat> down to Tarasina, okay, at the sea. So it goes from Rome and it goes south to Tarasina at the sea and then it starts to bear inland. And it goes each east to Brindisi, which is a port uh, on the uh, Adriatic Sea. So that now that road is still there, and it's in pretty good shape, way better shape than the roads in Mesa County, Colorado. <clears throat> so you've heard the term the Romans Road. Right, And that is what we use as far as Bible verses when we're leading someone to the Lord. We use Romans 3.23, and we use Romans 6.23, and we use Romans uh, chapter 10, verses 9, 10, and 13. Some people use a few others in there, but that, and that's fine. The, the, that term, the Romans road, there were, this is the Romans road. This is the road that we're talking about. This is the road in Rome. And the first leg that bears south, uh, southeast from Rome until it hits uh, this uh, area right here where it hits a port and a sea, it's almost totally straight. You know, for over 100-something miles, it's just, they just cut right through the landscape. So anyway, if you have a chance and you end up, you know, in Italy south of Rome, somewhere you're going to want to see that road. It's, 
it's neat because that road is older than anything I've ever seen in my life. Okay, so where, who? They are going to Rome. So Rome is at the top of this. It's right here at the top of this blue line. So they landed right in here, which was not too far from um, uh, Pompeii. Okay, that's a town we've all heard of because of the volcano. And they uh, got on the Romans road and they headed uh, northwest till they hit Rome. The Romans road continues all the way over there. And I just wanted to, you know, kind of throw that in. But that's where they went. Yes, MacArthur. I don't remember when Pompeii was destroyed. It was after that. I don't think it was much after that. I thought, yeah, I'm going to say it was, it was in, it was earlier than the first 200 years of the Roman empire. Yeah. Check that out for us, Wayne. See if I just lied to everybody. Did it give you a year? Yeah, that's all right. Just go ahead and watch the whole YouTube video now. And when you find the spot, you can tell us. <laughs> okay, so, so they traveled up this road um, and they ran into two groups of Christians. It explains the first group of Christians met Paul roughly 43 miles outside of Rome uh, on this road. The second group met him at the three taverns. And that is about 10 miles up the road. So the three taverns that it mentions here in Acts was a place about 30 miles outside of Rome designed for the reception of travelers that were going to Rome because it was on this Roman road. You have to understand this road was the equivalent of an interstate highway system today. It was the best built, maintained and heavily traveled road in the world. So this is where everyone would go because it was also the safest road because it was so heavily traveled. AD 79. Oh, okay, look at that. So nine years after the fall of Jerusalem. Yeah. Yep, God didn't like that. He's like, all right, I'm going to take one of your cities out. <laughs> all right. So... So let's see. Uh, verse 16. Okay, now this is this is neat. They show up to Rome, they deliver the prisoners, but Paul was not kept in the common jail. He had a certain level of freedom, but a guard remained with him and literally chained to him. Now, think about this, okay? Because we're going to get to what you're laughing about now because it, it get, it's so much worse than you could even imagine. But think about this. How many men have walked into Rome on that Romans road? And I mean great men making their triumphant entrance into Rome and crowned who were really a plague to their generation, just destroying the world and all the good people in the world. That happened again and again and again with the emperors of Rome. 
and they were they would walk in the same road Paul did, but they would do it with a parade and the fanfare, and they were an absolute plague on humanity. And Paul, who was quite possibly the greatest blessing to that generation, walked into Rome in chains and was handed off to a prisoner, or I'm sorry, as a prisoner, was handed off to a guard. No one knew he was there. No fuss was made. That was it. And there was not a greater man alive at the time than Paul. There was not a greater man that did greater things for God in that entire generation than Paul. And he just shuffled on in in shackles, and they handed him off to a guard, and that was it. Now, in verses 17 through 19, now we change gears. So Paul is in Rome, and he's been there for how long? In verse 17. He's been there for three days. Now, in verse 17... What is strange about verse 17? And I know that's a broad question, and I know there's going to be 10 answers before we hit it. But I want you to think about... Okay, so what's strange is that Paul calls the Jews together to talk about why he's accused. Now... Hadn't Paul traveled a long way? And wasn't it this great big to-do to bring this guy across the known world at great expense and effort? And he showed up, and they handed him off to a guard. There was no trial. Nobody was there to accuse him. He was just... He know he was nope. He was just sitting around. Didn't even know he was coming. Carlos? Carlos? Yes, the, the idea of a quick and speedy trial that is written in our laws goes all the way back to Rome. It might precede that. But in Rome, you were not allowed to just be a political prisoner that they threw into a dungeon and forgot about. So the idea is that Paul's been there for three days and nothing is happening. So he calls the Jews together to talk to them about what's going on. Because remember, it was the Jews back in Jerusalem years ago that accused him of this. So Paul met with the chief Jews, and he explains the same story that he explained a dozen times in the Bible. And if we go back several chapters, we can read it. Now, here's something we should know. By an edict of Claudius... All the Jews were banished from Rome. It's only been five years since, the, since Claudius died and the Jews were allowed to come back to Rome. So five years later, many Jews had come back to Rome for the purpose of commerce. Okay, it's a big city that, you know, it's where you're going to be able to make money. But even then, 
they were not allowed to have a synagogue in the city. They had no public place of worship. So when Paul called the chief Jews, understand it's not the chief Jews of the synagogue. There was no synagogue. It's not like everywhere else throughout the world where we read where there would be a synagogue and the rulers, the chief you know, Jews, the rulers of the synagogue were the ones that were in charge and would come. They just brought the guys that, you know, kind of were the most prestigious, maybe the most wealthy or influential Jews, and they gathered them together, and they came to hear from Paul. In verse 20, Paul explains that the cause of his chains is the hope of Israel. In verse 20, because that for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. And remember, when he said this chain, he literally picked up the chain that was attached to his arm and said, this chain. He said he was bound in this chain because of the hope of Israel. The question I have for you is, what is the hope of all Israel? It is Jesus. The hope of all Israel is Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, the one we've all been waiting for, speaking as the Jews in Israel, right? Was, was, that, um, was the hope of Israel, was that a, a term of the day? Do you know Not that I know of, other than here, although understand that we could... Have you ever seen those posters of uh, all the names of Jesus? They may if you if you go to a Christian cookstore or sorry, Christian bookstore, you can find a bunch of neat you know different things and different tchotchke garbage. <laughs> yeah. So there you can find it online. There's a poster that I've seen with all the names of Jesus, and it has references for all of them. And it's really neat because here that would count as a name of Jesus, the hope of Israel, even though. It wasn't a name given by, say, you know, Isaiah or by God, just like Jesus is, we can call Jesus the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, right? We've heard all these. We Okay, we can also call him the, the door, right? He's called a door. Okay, he's called a shepherd. So there's, there's lots of them, but I don't know if we could find that anywhere else. Yeah, good question, Nick. So let me ask you this. How... Are all the Jews saved? Pretty straightforward question. Very good, Moses. They are saved by, just like us, yep, they are saved by faith. Okay, now go with me to, oh, we have another verse to jump to. Go with me to Romans chapter 3. And the boys and I just read this yesterday in our morning Bible reading. So hopefully that's why Moses remembered <laughs> or got the answer. But but it's good. And, and this is important because do you know how many times you hear this crazy idea that the Jews were saved this one way in the Old Testament and we're saved this other way now? That's not how it works. Faith has always been the mechanism by which we are saved. In Romans chapter 3, verse 30, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. When you start reading Romans, 
one of the central themes of chapters two and three is Paul trying to explain to the Jews that on the one hand, you guys are not special. Because the Jews had this hang-up that was getting in the way. Paul would give them the gospel and say, you know, you need Jesus. And they'd say, I'm a child of Abraham, Paul. And he's like, no, you need Jesus. And they'd say, Paul, it's okay. I'm circumcised. And he'd say, no, you need Jesus. And like, Paul, I keep the law. And they'd go round and round and round, and they had this idea that because they were God's chosen people, because they were the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they were circumcised, that they were covered, and they were all good. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. Those of the circumcision are saved through faith, and those of the uncircumcision are saved through faith. One of my favorite ideas, one of my favorite cute little phrases is that the ground is level at the cross. There is no difference between any human when they go to the cross. They all get saved the same way. And Paul was trying to explain to the Jews, you need Jesus, the Messiah. That's how we all get saved. Okay, it is faith. So, this ties into one to a verse we were just talking about. Hold on. Um, so Paul was explaining the hope of Israel is the Messiah. We have to have faith. Give it to me, Wayne. What you got? I read you, since Jesus' crucifixion, that doesn't believe that he's the Messiah is in hell right now? Every, uh, yes. Of course, I'll say the same thing as previously to Jesus. So the quick idea, if we have our timeline, <clears throat> all of us who are born and raised after the cross, we have faith in the Messiah. We never met him. We've never seen him. We've never spoken to him. We weren't there at the cross, but we have faith <clears throat> in the testimony of the Bible and who Jesus is, and we have faith that he is the Messiah, right? That's who we're trusting in for our salvation, nothing else. Just Jesus and what he did on the cross. And in the same way, those back here had faith as well, but they had faith in an event that hasn't come yet. They weren't saved by the sacrifices. They weren't saved by keeping the law. They weren't saved by the, the feast days. They weren't saved by you know, being circumcised or any of that stuff. It, it was always faith. Make sense? So since the cross, absolutely. Jew or Gentile, okay, anyone that rejects the Messiah and is counting on something else is not in heaven. They are in hell. Yep. So, yes. Oh, but, so, uh, Louis is asking about Okay, so what we have, okay, can you ask me that when we're done here? Because I'm going to, they're not in heaven. They are in a place of fire and torment. Okay, so as far as 
the exact location and it does change at certain points. Okay. And understand when we say hell, <clears throat> hell is often misunderstood. Hell can be, okay, hell can be synonymously used with the underworld because in the underworld, we have several places. We have paradise, also called Abraham's bosom, which is the good place that we find saved people go prior to Jesus dying. We have, um, we have what we would consider hell, which is the place of fire and torment, which is where the rich man in the story of Luke 12, the rich man and Lazarus, where he goes and where everyone who is lost, where they go. We also have another location talked about in the underworld. Anyone want to guess what that is, Moses? No. Okay, that comes later. Wash? Uh, the, the, pit. the pit, very good. What was the pit reserved for? The pit is used for, okay, the devil for a thousand years um, and was reserved for the fallen angels that uh, did a specially wicked thing talked about in the book of Jude and elsewhere. So understand what when we talk about hell, far too many people are thinking of one part of the underworld. And that's why people struggle when we read about in the book of Isaiah when the Messiah went to hell. We're like, well, wait, that doesn't make sense. Well, it does when you understand there are several parts. He went there to set the captives free. Uh, and we are officially in the weeds. Carlos, go ahead, jump on in. <laughs> Yes. So he uh, he conquered death and hell, and he proved that when he rose again, okay, that death had no power over him. But also you got to remember that what was keeping the people that went down into paradise, Abraham's bosom, what was keeping them from being able to go to heaven to be with God? Yeah, it, a perfect blood. The blood of God had not been shed yet. Okay, so there was no blood that could be applied to their souls. And I know it sounds like a technicality, but the fact was, when we read through the Old Testament, the blood of bulls and goats was good to do what to their sin? Cover it. In the New Testament, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus does what? Cleanses it. What's the difference between cleanse and cover? You can cover a stain. Oh, the kid spilt something on the couch. We'll just, okay, there you go. Just put a blanket. What do you think that blanket's on the couch for? Okay. It's, yeah, you got a big blanket with a bunch of kids to cover the stains on the couch, but it doesn't cleanse the stain. The stain is still there. When it's cleansed, it is gone. It's as if it never existed. And that's the difference. When Jesus bled on the cross, his blood was perfect blood. It was able to cleanse your soul of sins so that your sins are, they are gone as if they never existed. Whereas previously, the blood of bulls and goats was not able to cleanse your sins. So that's why Jesus went down to uh, the center of the earth, to Abraham's bosom, 
set the captives free. When Jesus was on the cross, he said to the thief, tonight you will be with me in paradise. paradise. Okay, so that's where they were. And let me tell you, I don't know what it was like down there, but I bet you it was a pretty cool party when the Messiah came down and set the captives free. They were now free. They're able to okay, go to heaven. Carlos. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's there. It's just empty. You got it. Yeah, the locate. And if you want to say it's not there, maybe it's not there. The Bible doesn't say it's gone. We just know it was emptied at that point. Yeah. We're, we're, you know, it's a semantics argument. We agree. We just explain it a little differently. Correct. Nobody can go there anymore. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Absolutely. Mac, what question you got for me? Yes, I think we're not going to finish this chapter of the book of Acts because of all these questions. Good question. Okay, go ahead, Mac. What was your question? <laughs> you know, that is a great question. So the question my 12-year-old just asked is, do I think that heaven is better than Abraham's bosom? Sure, why not? I, the, the Bible doesn't rate them, okay? It, I can't wait. Hold on. No, no, no. How many? Look it up. Google it. How many stars does heaven have and how many stars does Abraham's bosom have? Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. You have to. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So let's, let's keep moving to try to get through this. So uh, good questions. Got a little bit of information there. Uh, let's see. Verses 21 and 22. Okay, what is shocking about what the Jews tell Paul here in verses 21 and 22? What's interesting about this, Wayne? You said it before. When Paul shows up in Rome, they didn't even know he was coming. Okay, They're like, who are you? And then he explains it, and they're like, yeah, we've never heard of you, and no one that's come from Jerusalem has brought us any letters explaining any of this. Let me ask you this, guys. How long was it since Paul's offense till Paul showed up in Rome? How about this? What do we know when we're looking at the timeline? That's right. He was in jail for two years in Jerusalem, or not in Jerusalem, just up the road. So, Yep, so Paul was in jail for two years before they even started the trip to Rome. So this has been a long time, and they're like, sorry, Paul who? They had no idea who he was, what was going on, nothing. Okay? So, <clears throat> uh, what do they want from Paul? What? No, no, it's in, the, it's in verses 21 and 22. The Jews that Paul talked to, what did they want from him? To hear what? Yeah, they wanted to hear about, you got it, Christianity. And what do they call it, Nick? The sect, S-E-C-T. And what 
why was it called the sect? Because many people considered it a version of Judaism. It absolutely is. Kind of hard to argue with that, right? So just like there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there were also these Christians that believed that the Messiah had come. Do you know that that sect still exists in Judaism today? There's a sect of Judaism that believes in Jesus as the Messiah. There's a sect of Judaism that believes that the Messiah is still coming. There's a sect of Judaism that believes that it's all allegorical. Those are all genuine sects of Judaism today. So they wanted to hear about this Christianity. Now, what is interesting about what they said concerning this sect of Judaism? Yeah. They said, we want to hear about this because everywhere talks about how bad this is. Isn't that interesting? They want, well, they, yeah. The Jews back in Jerusalem probably still wanted him dead. Yeah, but the fact that he was gone on a boat to another country, I'm sure they were satisfied with that. But understand, do you know that there are three different ideas when it comes to who you are? There is who Louis wants everyone to think he is. Do you know how many people in the world spend so much of their time and energy on that one? This is who I want you to think I am. That's what social media is, right? Put on the brave face, big smile, use a filter. How many people take a, what are the, um, how long can a video be on that one app? The, was it three minutes? No, I was thinking of, there was a shorter one. Wasn't there one that came out that was vines? Wasn't that a thing for a while where it was like 10 second videos or something? It was something like that. Here's my point. Anyone ever, okay, on YouTube, on Facebook, on any platform, you can see there are short videos that are like, 10 seconds or, okay, reels, that sounds like it. So they're all short videos. When's the last time you saw a reel of parents screaming at their kids? Okay, I'm sure they exist, but that's not what, maybe if I was videoing someone screaming at their kids in Walmart, okay, but no one takes a video of themselves throwing a fit, yelling at their kids, why? Because we want to look good on these platforms. So we put a lot of effort into what we want people to think we are. Okay? <clears throat> then there is what people think we are. Who people think we are. Then there's who we are. And you know, no matter how much energy you put into the first one, what you want people to think you are, they're going to make up their own mind anyhow. So it's a waste of time trying to get people to think of you as something because they're going to make up their own mind anyhow. And it's going to be way closer to who you really are than who you want them to think you are. 
So if you're going to put time and energy into something, what should it be? Yeah, into the truth, into who you really are. Change who you really are. Now, here, they don't care about what everyone in the world said about Christianity. We want to hear about it. And they admit everyone has spoken against it. Everyone. So please, you are Mr. Christianity. Please tell us about it. They wanted the truth. They didn't care about what everyone said. In verse 23, Paul taught the Jews in Rome the Bible, and he pointed out how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Scriptures. And as we talked about before, through the whole book of Acts, what did he have to use? He had Moses and the prophets. That's it. He had the Old Testament. New Testament didn't exist yet. It certainly wasn't being printed off and passed around. So he taught the whole Old Testament, and he showed, and here they're talking about Jesus, and here they're talking about Jesus, and here they're talking about Jesus. And you see this right here? That's talking about Jesus. That's what he did, and he explained to him the whole thing, showing him Jesus is the Messiah. He's come. Here he is. And in verse 24, it says, those that believed, okay, or sorry, in verse 24, and some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. So what did those who believe do? The group that believed, what did they do? They all got saved, and all of a sudden, they formed a group. Do you know how we know that? Because the group that didn't believe doesn't like the group that believed, and they always kick them out of the synagogues. That's what we see everywhere. So there is there is a division there. So a church forms. The group that believed started to get together, and uh, now we have a church. All right, we have six more verses, and we're done. So let's read through these. Uh, verses 25 through 31. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word, well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers. And this is Paul quoting Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, which we will read in a minute, saying, go unto this people and say, hearing you shall hear, uh, sorry, hearing you shall hear and shall not understand and seeing you shall see and not perceive for the heart of this people is waxed gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes have they closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and I should be converted and I should heal them be it known therefore unto you this is Paul speaking now he's done quoting Isaiah and this is Paul speaking to the Jews and this is what Paul's doing while he's saying reading this verse he's doing this winding up, getting to boom, getting ready to sock him right in the kisser. Okay. He says, be it known therefore unto you talking to the Jews that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. All right, let's go through these couple verses and we'll be done. So Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, and this is what Isaiah says, and he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, and perceive not, 
make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. So Paul quoted the words of Isaiah to the Jews who were before him, words that described their tragic spiritual state. Jesus used this passage in connection with his parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8, and the Apostle John in his gospel applied them to Israel in chapter 12. Paul quoted them also in his Roman epistle, which, you know, the letter to the Romans in Romans chapter 11. You can look those up, but we find this portion of the scripture used many, many times. In verse 28, this statement is, I think this this verse should have like four exclamation marks after it. This statement would be unbelievable to the Jews. There are two statements the Jews found to be offensive in this one verse. What are they? Two things in this one verse that the Jews found offensive. Washington, what's one of them? Yeah, that salvation, the salvation of God is sent onto the Gentiles. So that is unbelievable to hear. What's the second unbelievable part? They will hear it, which implies the Jews won't hear it. You guys aren't hearing it. Present company included, and the Jews as a whole, you're not hearing it. Now, obviously, that we're not saying that no Jews got saved because we know many, many did. But as a whole, the nation of Israel did not turn to Christ as the Messiah. And Paul said, salvation, the salvation of God will be given unto the Gentiles, and they will hear it. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. If we were in a church building, you'd scream amen right there. <laughs> All right. Uh, verse 29, uh, many that left never heard Paul again, and others came back day after day to learn from Paul. Now, in verses 30 and 31, Paul spent two years preaching the Bible and teaching everyone about the Lord Jesus. And it talks about how nobody stopped anyone from coming or Paul from teaching. So again, he was under a house arrest type of situation. It said earlier he was not in the common prison with everybody else. But Paul was chained to a guard. And he was chained to a guard for two years. And that guard was relieved every six hours. Yep. So four shifts of six hours. Um, extra biblical history. <laughs> yep. Now, it said that he was chained to a guard. But, yep. I have no idea. I, I doubt it was just two guys. Okay, but the time that Paul was in, quote, prison under house arrest, he was chained to a guard, and they were forced to listen to his preaching. And what do we know about some of the Roman guards? Yeah, that's right. Paul talks about that in his letters. 
you could only imagine how many guards he could have went through. But the, in the in the letters that Paul wrote, we read about the Roman guards that got saved. Carlos. Yes, there were many times also that we read where Paul was preaching and guards got saved. And then there was even times where the guards got saved and they said, okay, you're coming home with me to my house and you're going to preach to the whole, and the, the whole house got saved and got baptized. And I mean, yeah, some neat stuff happened. Now, during this time of his life <clears throat> and while he was doing this preaching and talking to the Jews, uh, he had with him Timothy. Uh, John Mark, Luke, Aristarchus, Epaphras, no, Epaphras, Justice, and Demas. Uh, we know those for sure because they are mentioned, and at least 26 are named in Romans 16 uh, in that letter of people that salute you. So as far Paul had a large number of people that were there with him, uh, we know that Paul's custom was after a church was started, he would leave some of his disciples there to take it over and help get it going, and then he would leave and go to the next place. So we imagine that uh, some of these people were in positions of church leadership there in the new Christian church in Rome as it got started. Now, <clears throat> something else to know, and this is just to kind of wrap it up and put a little bow on it, uh, during these two years in Rome, we believe Paul writes the letters to the Philippians, the Ephesians, the Colossians, and the letter to Philemon, which are often called the prison epistles. Uh, according to tradition, but again, not found in the Bible, Paul did appear before the emperor and his case was dismissed. He went back to Crete where Titus was left in charge. He also, we believe, visited Ephesus where Timothy was left in charge. There is some evidence that Paul went as far as visiting Spain, and some scholars even believe that he got to England and Scotland, present-day England and Scotland. Um, we know Paul was arrested again and did some more time in prison in Rome. We believe that's where he wrote his last letter, which was the second letter to Timothy. And one day uh, during that imprisonment, uh, Paul was taken outside of the walls of Rome, and he was beheaded. And that was the end of Paul's life. That's how he died. Well, it is, okay, because what you find is when you read through the letters, and, and I'll, ex I'll explain here. The, so the, some people will teach and understand this, you know, you, do your own homework and, and believe what you want. I'm not telling you to believe what I'm telling you here. Um, some people will teach that this time in jail was it. And after two years, he was killed. The problem is that doesn't line up with what we read at the end of some of the other epistles. Okay. <clears throat> so um, one uh, gentleman in his uh, Bible commentary pointed out that leaving the leaving of Trophimus sick at Miletus found in 2 Timothy 4.20 could not have been an occurrence of Paul's last journey to Jerusalem, for then Trophimus was not left, nor of the journey to Rome to appear before Caesar in Acts 20 verses 4 and 21.20, for, for then he did not 
touch at Miletus. So to make this incident possible, there must have been a release from the first imprisonment and an interval of ministry and travel. But I don't know for sure. I might be misunderstanding the writing. Okay, so the idea is when you take all the phrases that Paul explains at the end of his letters, it seems to suggest that there had to be one more time when he was free for the way the Bible reads to make sense and then him to come back to Rome. But I could be wrong. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to tell you that for sure. Um, you know, people debate it. It does seem to make sense to me that he was freed. He had a period of time where he did some travel and some ministry, and then he was arrested again at Rome. We do know that Paul had no problem getting arrested, right? So <laughs> he was arrested plenty. Yeah, he had a rap sheet. Yeah, I know. Um, so, but I don't know. And I, it, it, it has no bearing to me on, you know, uh, doctrine of the Bible. It's just one of those interesting things that we can, you know, debate. <laughs> no, we don't read about it. Yep. No, we have, and there, and keep in mind, there is a lot of, you know, um, extra biblical history that we need to read, even in order to read about the fulfilling of prophecy. When you read about the fulfillment of Jesus's prediction for the temple to be destroyed, that's not mentioned in the Bible. You know, the temple being destroyed in Jerusalem happened after the New Testament was complete, and we only read about that, you know, from history. Um, so, okay, uh, good job, everybody. We made it through the book of Acts. Uh, Carlos, go ahead.